When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're invited to I Am The Cute One, the most chaotic school dance in the podcast universe. Let's spike the punch, grind to Usher, and recap some of the cutest movies that made our millennial minds explode. Hello, I am Donnie, and I am the cute one. And I am Chelsea, and I am the cute one. And today, we are here to cover the 1967, some kind of award winner, Mm. the mix-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E. L. Konigsberg. We sure are. (laughs) There was a time when you liked it in those first few chapters. Yeah, this book really took me on a journey. I think the mixed up files was perhaps the author lost the plot halfway through the book. (laughs) Disagree. Now, I will say it is one of the books where I feel like nothing happened. We've found a few of those along our journey, but maybe Mm -hmm. that's what being a child is. Yeah, just enjoying nothing. Yeah. And we're here to learn that. I would like to say, though, Donnie, there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue in this book. So I'm really proud of you. I know that your go-to reading style is just skipping right down to the dialogue. So there were a lot of words that you had to read this week. There were. And I read on a Kindle, famously. Sponsor us. So it tells me how much I have left of the book. And then you can press it. It tells you how much you left of the chapter, whatever. Maybe it's because that guy was here singing, dancing doing whatever in my bedroom Uh but I felt like I had an hour and 20 minutes for at least an hour I was like this book is (laughs) never gonna end every time I look it tells me I have an hour and 20 minutes left of this book so I will say there was a part when it felt like it was going to take up the rest of my life but yeah there was nothing to skip over for the most part I did read all of it which I'm the moderator so I hope that makes you happy thank you towards the end I got better about it there were a few times in the middle when Mrs. Basily Frankweiler was talking to Luxembourg. What's his name? Saxophone. <laughs> Saxonberg, I believe. Yeah. Whenever she was talking to him, like towards the middle of the book, I would skip over it. Oh, see, that to me was the best part because that bitch was just ripping him to shreds. She went out <laughs> of her way to just read Mr. Saxophone for filth. There was one at the end, I wish I would have wrote it down, when she said, I called you last night and you didn't really sound like a lawyer. Disgusting. <laughs> I think that Miss, what's her name with the mixed up files? Miss Frankenweiner. I think Miss Frankenweiner could be a real housewife. I want to know more of her backstory. I want to get a confessional from her. I would love to know what her storyline is. I think that she could really thrive on Bravo, even with the reality reckoning. (laughs) For sure. I do think she would go head to head against Bethany, though, for sure. Like in the Vanity Fair article, she would team up with Ebony to say Bethany ain't shit. Disgusting. But I do think that this book. And all of the words was a warm-up act of sorts, because I would like to just gently remind you that this is half my podcast, too. So sometimes I do have a say in the books that we're covering. And cuties, I am so pleased to announce November is the month we will be covering the book that blew my tiny little mind in middle school, The Giver. Is there not dialogue in The Giver? There is, but there's a lot of explaining. What age did you read? I read it in sixth grade, I think. Oh, that's 
nerve-wracking. Okay. Yeah. Fifth grade, I think, is my reading level. That's where I draw my line, but we'll see what happens. I hope. <laughs> and I shouldn't, but I do. I hope that as an adult, you just hate this book. So we've mentioned the man that was making noise and singing. We did talk about it briefly on our Thursday night Instagram live, but would you like to fill in the main feed cuties on the horror show just briefly that you've been living the past week? A part of me does. A part of me just wants to tell them to go on Patreon and pay us $5 a month. So you'll get the minuscule portion here. And then if you want the details, give us $5 a month and go on Patreon. This man... My ceiling leaked a month ago, brown water. He told me it wasn't rainwater, like he previously thought, leaking in from the roof. It is something else. He didn't say what the something else was. He didn't fix what the something else was. He just cut a big asshole in my ceiling where I could then see to the sky. I had a skylight in my bedroom for two days, so then I was afraid a rat would fall down. So then I slept on the sofa the past two nights. All terrible, all fine. He's coming back to, like, paint it today, whatever. But when he's here, he sings, he screams by himself. At one point, I thought he was on the phone. I went in to check. He was not. So needless to say, it's very hard to record if he's here. He is coming back today to paint. So that's why Chelsea and I are recording at nine o'clock in the morning, because he's been showing up around 11. So hopefully this is enough cushion time for us. I feel traumatized by this man. And he hasn't even been in my home because last week when we recorded, he was in the background, literally just like, ha, ah. Ah. Now, Chelsea, this is the second time you've done impressions of this man. He's not just making noises. That is how he speaks. Talking to him is like that. It's all very loud. And you like really need to focus to figure out what he's saying. Because it comes through like a witch climbing up a (laughs) mountain. Like it's all very like, (laughs) what is happening? What are we saying? And I don't think he has any kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that would make him sound like (laughs) that. You know how people say that some people were raised by wolves? Maybe he was raised by ghosts. (laughs) So he's learned their native dialect of just like, ooh. That's enough about him. I've invested too much time mentally and now verbally about this man. So I'm going to move into the book. Sure. So this book was written in 1967. But as we've said before, this is a nostalgia podcast, but not for our parents, for us. So I read it in fifth grade, which was 1996. And that is what I'm going to talk about instead. Okay. The top five movies of 1996 were Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, and then The Nutty Professor. Hmm. Also, this one's for you. The last episode of Murder, She Wrote, aired. Ah, J.B. Fletcher. (laughs) Knew you would love that. I love the premise of Murder, She Wrote because I love the fact that J.B. Fletcher, she was not attached to a detective agency. She was just a woman that truly traveled the country and everywhere she went, people were dropping dead. And no one ever (laughs) thought to take their pointer finger and just point it Right on on her direction. (laughs) Yeah, there should have been a movie at the end to tie it all up. And it was like, it was me all along. I needed plots for these books I write. That was the plot, right? She wrote Yeah, she was an author. And because she was such a good mystery writer, detectives and policemen would always be like, JB, come and investigate this with us. (sighs) We've said it almost every week. But ACAB, if you need the help of a writer Mm -hmm. maybe you shouldn't have this job perhaps yeah my favorite's when they wouldn't collaborate with her though and she still solved the crime where like Mm. detectives would be like i'm a detective i don't need your help lady and she's like well interesting because last night they went to bed without their glass of water which means they were dehydrated which means they were fed poison have i ever told you about the detective show i wanted to write probably but remind me it would have thrived in the early 2000s now 
I might get canceled just for saying it. So it would be called homicide. Okay? Homicide. Then I was going to be a gay detective fresh to the force. All the other, like, Italian-American cops were going to be like, hey, what are you doing here, yeah. faggot? I don't like know that. why we need to bring the Italians <laughs> into it specifically. We could have just said, like, douchey heterosexual cops, but you said <laughs> well, it. Well, New York. This took place in New York City. Uh-huh. So they're all Italian to me. Okay. <laughs> so- So let's just keep this problematic train going, because in 1996, the O.J. Simpson trial began, and Queen of My Universe, John JonBenet Ramsey, was killed. And the Macarena was the number one song. That's the Bermuda (laughs) Triangle of the 90s right there. Did you know I had a JonBenet Ramsey advent calendar? Homemade. I told you about it. I men in black myself quite frequently. It's hard to forget that one. (laughs) It's really hard to scrub your brain. No amount of bleach would get rid of those neuron pathways that were created. Fair enough. If the cuties don't know about it, it was a recreation of her house, a beautiful home made out of cardboard. I made this at work and left it up in my office all through Christmas. Like new employees were hired seasonally. They would just walk in my office. See this? Where was this? Gum Shrimp Company. Okay. And I was the admin manager. So like I was the one that would make you fill out your W-2 and all those kind of paperwork. So there were new people, first impression of this company in my office, filling out the paperwork as they looked at a John Bonnet Ramsey advent calendar i want there to be a sitcom where you play somebody that works in hr (laughs) that's what i was that's horrifying (laughs) can you imagine you doing like a no harassment in the workplace training and behind you is 30 john benet ramsey cutouts just staring at you counting down till christmas yeah so it was a recreation of her house made of cardboard but then she has shrubbery all up on side of the building so i took from the storage cabinets in my office i took a woman's pad (laughs) painted it green and put that on my house as shrubbery then i printed 25 little john benets and each day i added a new one to the house don't you think it would have been more on the nose if you took one away each day well on the day i added crime scene tape to it That wasn't planned from the beginning. That was a stroke of inspiration. Sometimes inspiration strikes. There's no planning. You just must <laughs> Well, do here's it. why. Just like you thought, like, Donnie, that's kind of uneventful once you get to the finale. I felt that. I was like, well, now I have this house of 25 John Bonet Ramseys, but yesterday was 24 and it looked basically the same. What do I do now to make it different? I know. Crime scene tape. You wanted a mystery. Here it is. Well, the mystery is how I... Still do this podcast with you every week. (laughs) Are you still obsessed with her or have you moved on? I'm obsessed with her for all the reasons I shouldn't be. Like, I do love her photo shoots. And like, in hindsight, that's the problematic portion of it. Uh But like her with those little (laughs) gloves posed like this. Iconic. However, I hate documentaries. So like, there's five a year saying we still don't know who the killer is. I don't need to watch. I mean, I've talked about this at length. I just have a big problem with true crime in general and the voyeurism Mm. and just kind of like commercialization of people's worst moments. And certainly this is one where I have to have the cognitive dissonance for me to be able to like, you know, laugh about a John Bonet advent calendar yeah. and not think of her as like the same age as my daughters and all of that. But I will say your spin on it, I find actually more tasteful than most <laughs> true crime podcasts. Well, thank You're you. not telling people to stay sexy. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
So if today's episode makes you laugh or scream, or if you'd like to place an order for John Bonet Ramsey Advent Calendar, do us a favor and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. A five-star review is the easiest way to grow our audience and this community. So you're not alone when I terrorize you with my stories. So a little bit about this book. The book, to remind you, is The Mixed-Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E. L. Konigsberg. The book was published in 1967, and she is one of six writers to win two Newbery Medals, which I don't know if you're familiar with the literary medal scene, but this is an award considered one of the most prestigious awards in children's literature. I would love to see her competition. You are so rude. The other book, I'm going to make you read this next. The other book she wrote that got an award is The View from Saturday. And it's a book about a teacher who becomes paraplegic in a skiing accident. And then her students bully her. Were you the ghostwriter? Did you take your time machine that's been terrorizing R.L. Stein? And did you give her this idea? No, but it's brilliant. This book, however, the one we're talking about today, was turned into two movies, one in 1974 starring Ingrid Bergman, and then a made-for-TV movie in 1995 starring Lauren Bacall. Wow. Yeah. And you said nothing happened. Well, (laughs) Seinfeld was a hit show and nothing happened there either, so. Wouldn't say it like that. But I didn't watch that. I love this book. What character, if any, do you identify as? I struggled with this one because I saw myself a little bit in everybody, but not quite like Claudia I can be bossy when I want to I do want to do something just for attention and to really make a splash but I'm not a planner Mm. Jamie I get roped into an adventure a lot of the times but I'm not good with money so I wasn't him so I think at the end of the day I really am just Miss Frankenweiner for me there's one big thing about Claudia that we'll talk about later that makes me not her but leading up to the end the reason I am Claudia she reads 12 pages of a book before getting bored and figuring out how much is left Mm -hmm. she's bad with money she's a planner and she's a conspiracy theorist like I was really feeling Claudia but then we meet Frankenweiner at the end and she is an old cunt who likes children (laughs) once she realizes she's allowed to be mean to them which that is my love language if I can talk shit to a kid we are going to be the best of friends Mm -hmm. she's a hoarder and she likes to keep secrets just because she can but the real censure is she forces people to play games for her amusement yeah 100 (laughs) percent. then maybe i am your esophagus or whatever what is his name saxonberg okay maybe i'm your saxonberg then oh you just go out of your way to be like you stupid bitch saxonberg (laughs) you're right i was telling my friend how much we get along and how talking shit is our love language and i was like i really love chelsea because i can just say like listen up you fat cunt and then that was too much for me and i covered my mouth i was like i've never said that to her (laughs) i don't know why i said it now i mean you could you could call me that thank you thank you like what you're hearing? Head to patreon.com slash I am the cute one for more. There you can find uncut, unedited, and unhinged video and audio footage of current episodes. That's patreon.com slash I am the cute one. See you there. Let me give you a little one minute synopsis. Start the clock, you old slut. Claudia knew that she could never pull off the old-fashioned kind of running away. So, she decided to run not from somewhere, but to somewhere. Somewhere large, warm, comfortable, and beautiful. And that was how Claudia and her brother Jamie ended up living in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and right in the middle of a mystery that made headlines. 
slow news day, apparently, for that newspaper. <laughs> and I do want to say I did like this book. I think that I am desensitized to mysteries, and I wanted to up the ante. I was looking for more. When Jamie, and this is skipping ahead, but I didn't put it in the outline. When Jamie was hiding in the bathroom on the toilet and those two men were talking about the statue, I thought they were going to steal it. Me too. Yeah. And we'll get to what I was really rooting for this book. I was already <laughs> saying, like, what the fuck is this mystery? This is... Da Vinci coded. I feel like we are in a Nicolas Cage mystery <laughs> movie that has way too much history for me. And then that happened, and I was literally mid texting you, thank God there are robbers. Nope, just people that work just at the museum guards. doing their jobs. <laughs> so, just like Chelsea, Claudia Kincaid is bored and sick of the bullshit. So, naturally, she decides to run away from home. And although he's part of the problem, she decides to bring her second youngest brother, Jamie, with her because, unlike her, he saves his allowance and having money would make running away easier. He had $25, which, when this book was written, let's account for inflation, that would be like $230 today. Yeah. That little boy is really squirreling away his money in that gambling ring. He is. And I'm glad you did the inflation math because there were many a times when my brain did not comprehend it. So they were like, <laughs> we cannot spend more than 68 cents at dinner. And I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> Who would you run away with? Who would you run away with? Would you run away with I me? shouldn't have put this in the outline because I knew that's the question I was going to get. I I don't know because I want to say yes. I do think we work very well together. We work off each other's strengths. But I saw something in you during that Poconos trip when you weren't allowed to break rules that would make me terrified to run away with you. Yeah. I think I would get a little bit reckless. I think we could have a lot of fun together. Oh, yeah. But I think in terms of running away if we were trying to not get caught I don't know if you and I especially together are the best at like blending in laying low <laughs> you don't think your wig and sunglasses would help you blend in yeah and you going around calling everybody old sluts. <laughs> you didn't pack much except for your John Benet Ramsey advent calendar complete with 25 John Benet Ramsey paper that dolls. I just set up on an Amelia Earhart exhibit <laughs> yeah. yeah perhaps we would get caught perhaps. I don't know what this says about me but I think I would run away by myself mm. like I've reached a point in my life especially god love them love my family but Honestly, like sleeping on the floor of a museum for a week, I could really do with some silence. You know, put me in solitary confinement, really. <laughs> I think I'm ready. I wish I could. Well, I did used to run away a lot. I've talked about the times that I've run away. I ran away famously on Easter, and that was the end of my family ever going to church. I didn't want to go to church on Easter, so I ran away, and we never went back. So sometimes hmm. throwing a fit works. But now circles really do become circles because my oldest daughter has started oh, no. threatening to run away when things don't go her way. That fucking Amazon toy magazine came in the mail because it's just turned November 1st, so it's almost Christmas. Yeah. She went through this magazine and circled every single toy on every <gasps> single page and handed it to me and said, here, Mommy, here's my Christmas list. And when I explained <laughs> to her that Santa's a little understaffed, he's also been hit by some strikes, strikes some yeah. breaks in the supply chain, Santa's not going to be able to give you every single toy. There are other children in the world. And she said, fine, I guess I'm going to have to run away then. <gasps> and I just said, well, I'm really going to miss you. <laughs> so money disappears quickly. And I know this as a fact because I spent $68 on delivery yesterday. And I'm home alone. 
But Claudia tries to cut corners where she can, and when she's digging through the garbage in her home, she finds, under some dirty tissues, a train ticket for two children to New York City. Convenient. Also very gross. Gross, but... (laughs) What? My family has been known to dumpster dive in our time. Do you know that really cute leather Shea Lounge I have in my (laughs) living room that you like to lounge on whenever you come to visit? Uh-huh. That was rescued from a dumpster. <laughs> Isn't it so comfy? Yeah, and now I know why I have bed bugs every time I visit. <laughs> My dad works in these really nice condos in Philadelphia, uh-huh. so sometimes he used to one man's trash, other man's treasure. Yeah. My mom... She's retired, but she worked previously at my daughter's elementary school. She'd worked there since I went to that elementary school, so like 20 years. And at the end of the school year, she was always very excited (laughs) to go through that lost and found. Oh, wow. (laughs) Just stealing from children. Well, no, if it's the end of the year. Yeah, she wasn't like, well, I'll take this to the lost and found and throwing it in the back of her van. She was putting it in the lost and found and then waiting. Biding her time. I understand. I used to do that at Bubba Gump Company. And at Bubba Gump Company, one <laughs> time I did this. One time. There was a really cool hat, and I hid it at the bottom of the Lost and Found under other stuff. So that if the person did come in, it was in Lost and Found. I did my job. But I knew that in eight days, eight days was our time. If someone didn't come back for it in eight days, we were allowed to take it. So I knew in eight days I could take that hat. Now, where's that hat now? Threw it out. But it was my top priority to make sure this person didn't get their hat back. Anyway, after skipping school, packing their clothes in empty instrument cases, hiding out in a school bus graveyard, and mailing a letter to their parents saying not to call the FBI, the two are in the big city and have their camp all picked out, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now, we already know you would go by yourself. Where would your home base be if you ran away from home? Mine, I'll go first, would be a Target. Because they have little furniture you can stay in. You can help yourselves to food. There's the, like, electronics wall. That would be a good one. I always thought it was really fun looking in all of the old TGIF episodes when they would get locked in the mall. That was going to be my first answer. But here's the problem with the mall. All the stores lock individually. So you'll be locked in one store or you'll be locked in the hallway part. I was trying to think. <laughs> of places where I've had the thought of like, wow, I wonder how long I could stay here and get away with it. I feel like an airport. Like Kristen Bell. <laughs> and Dak Shepard, famously, those poor, yeah. poor souls. <laughs> those poor, inclusive yeah. allies. But anytime that I have been like in the airport at weird hours, like on a layover 3 a.m. and people are just like laying in chairs and stuff, I'm like, oh, like you could just get away with this for quite some time. And then maybe like, Every now and then, come into some money, buy a ticket, go to a new airport, just bounce around, never that leave. That would be nice. One more time, I want to burst your bubble, though. The airport, you couldn't steal food because it never closes, so you would have to buy all your meals. Well, I'm not saying I asked the question to answer the best answer, but Target closes, so then I can help myself to whatever food I want, put whatever I want on that big screen. Yeah, that's true, but I would just get back to my roots and take food out of the trash. <laughs> Yeah, the other place I think is like at a 24-hour gym, like a lifetime fitness, spend some time in the spa, lay by the pool, Mm. get a little workout in, and then when people are dwindling, you just take a nap. I love that. There's a spa in New York that is a spa, but then they have a full bar as well. That's Mm. where I would want (laughs) to go. That's not where these two fuckers go. 
When Claudia wants to take a cab to the museum, Jamie teaches Claudia how the rich stay rich by being a gambler and a cheapskate. And I did bring a little excerpt from the book for this part. Claudia, Jamie said, you are quietly out of your mind. How can you even think of taking a taxi? We have no more allowance, no more income. You can't be extravagant any longer. It's not my money we're spending. It's our money. We're in this together. And so... A team is born. I love that. When do you think yeah. we became a team, Donnie? Um, I think the seeds were planted of the team mateship when I had my live with Jen Shah and you said, schedule me for one first so that you can get loose and then you can go into that one feeling yourself. And I was like, oh, this is a good apple I picked. I say this every time that Instagram Live is brought up. We (laughs) covered a Hallmark movie where a woman falls in love with a ghost. And I really (laughs) encourage everybody to go back and watch that live because it's like a first date. Like all of the magic is there, but we're so weirdly nice to each other. We are. I think that I knew the seeds were being planted the very first time we recorded about Mary-Kate and Ashley. Originally, it was for my Patreon. We <laughs> found it so funny that we were like, we got to pitch this somewhere. The world <laughs> needs another Mary-Kate and Ashley podcast. But I think it was our very first episode when you told the story about meeting Jessica Simpson wearing a feather necklace. <laughs> I think that that was when I knew I wanted to hitch my horse to your wagon. So... If you're going to boss people around, you need to be able to back it up. And Jamie backs it up. He navigates the busy streets of New York with a compass and a sundial. But you know what? If there's a place you can use a compass and a sundial and still blend in, it's New York City. So Jamie congratulates Claudia on her brilliant plan. This scene of Jamie walking like 10 full feet in front of Claudia with a sundial, a compass, it reminded me of when, do you remember I was on a layover? I had gone to my sister-in-law's bachelorette party. I took a train into the city. We got brunch and then I was going to take another train back home. And I was just lugging around that giant ass suitcase <laughs> as we were walking around. You're such a fast walker in general, but you kept, it was very sweet because you were power walking ahead and then you would turn around and power walk back to me because it was like, you kept realizing like, oh, she is not with me at all because my suitcase was truly like as large as I was. That was a learning lesson for me because I am famously an overpacker, which you can kind of get away with in an airport because I just always check a bag. It's like not an option to me that I'm not going to check it. But on a train, I realized people don't really appreciate when you ask them for help with your like 80 pound bag to put Mm. over the overhead compartment, you know? No, they don't. Also, I assume you took Amtrak. The beginning of the car has like a space where you can just push it in and not ask anyone to help you lift it up. Yeah, I must have missed that one. I was fully just like incredible hulking a giant suitcase over my head. I honestly, though, this would be another reason I don't think I would be good at running away because I am not a light packer. I would not be able to edit my list of things that I require on my little well, that's adventure. Very true. And in your defense, you did overpack a very heavy bag, but I also am a very fast walker. I can walk fast if I need to. Mm. It's not really in my nature to walk super fast like that. Oh, no. I always feel like I'm wasting time in my life. For what? I don't know. Because then I'll just come home and be on my phone for Mm -hmm. eight hours. But if there's not a purpose to doing something, I feel like I'm wasting my time. And I talked about it in therapy. Like, I can't just go to the park and sit down with you. 
I feel like that is a waste of time. What are we there for? But whatever conversations we were going to have in that park, if we had them with drinks or with lunch, I would be fine. Mm. Yeah. I need like an An activity. Yeah. So that's why I walk so fast, I think, because I'm going from one purpose thing to the next. But Quinn always says like, can't you just stroll like a nice stroll in the evening in the city on a spring day would be nice. And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> Can you change the way you think about it and make the stroll the activity? Like the activity is the stroll. If you and my therapist link up, you can say that to each other and see if it means anything. Because when she says it to me, no, Maybe you should just get into making <laughs> friendship bracelets. So then you can like go to the park and sit down with your beads and just get to town, you know? Maybe. Yeah, There's a perhaps. lot of Swifties who... I think could use your services. And then I could sell it. And you know I love making money because that is the Jamie in me. Is there something, and maybe not, maybe there's nothing in your life you do this to. Is there anything you check every day? Is it an impulse that I do? Like every day, for instance, I check my bank account. I check my credit. And I feel like there's one more thing that people don't check every day, but I do. But those two things. And like, I know what money is coming in and out of my bank account. But for some reason, I just want to see like, oh, maybe, maybe today it's different than yesterday. I don't check my bank account. (laughs) And I don't check my credit score. And I just go off of vibes. And I know when I've gone too far, when, you know, my debit card, the swipe doesn't go through. And that's when Um, I'm like, oops, oopsie kitty. The vibes budget didn't pass this month. Isn't it great that the two of us are in business together? Don't you feel really (laughs) secure in this partnership where we have a shared bank account now? Well, because I check it every day. I'm not worried. Cuties, you know I cannot see a movie without pretending I'm in it, and now it's your turn. Have you ever tried to use the force when no one's looking or thought about what superheroes would win in a fight? Then you'll want to stop what you're doing, (laughs) unless you're driving, and visit Sideshow.com. Your eyes do not deceive you. They have a life-size, impeccably detailed replica of the child from Star Wars The Mandalorian. Now, I don't mean to brag, but Sideshow did send me the child. I call him Baby Yoda. I have since learned that is not his name, but he is my son now, so I will be continuing to call him as such. And we have been playing dress up, having photo shoots, and just having a grand old time. But if that one doesn't speak to you, how about a movie-accurate statue of Christopher Reeve as Superman? They got that too. But just wait until you see the incredibly lifelike figures of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. We are thrilled to have Sideshow sponsoring our podcast today. They offer a wide selection of premium figures, statues, and fine art from the worlds of Star Wars, DC, Marvel, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and so much more. These limited edition, handcrafted, officially licensed collectibles bring pop culture's biggest icons to life in your home. And here is the best part. You can get an exclusive $50 off your first order of $200 or more. It's a great opportunity for new customers to dive into the world of high-quality collectibles. Or you can gift it to that super geek in your life. Perhaps that person in your life that you know would cringe when they hear that I've been letting my daughter sleep with my baby Yoda. And again, that I refuse to stop calling it Baby Yoda. Plus, shopping at Sideshow earns you 5% back in Sideshow rewards, meaning for every $100 spent, you get $5 back in rewards that can be used on future purchases. 
While geeking out is its own reward, your collection goes farther with Sideshow. So, what are you waiting for? Visit Sideshow.com, promo code CUTEONE, right now, and get ready to let your geek side show. Oh, that's clever. Sideshow. Like Sideshow.com? I get it. the museum they make themselves at home well as much as you can in a museum that you're staying in illegally they pick out a renaissance bed to sleep in hide in bathroom stalls store their clothes in coffins and taking advantage of their opportunity by using their time in the museum as a time to learn and this is when i realized the character i relate to is not claudia because i could be sleeping in the pentagon itself and have no interest in learning anything <laughs> no yeah. the two discover they aren't the only ones trying to learn as they find them themselves in a line to see an angel statue, possibly created by Michelangelo and definitely sold to the museum by a one Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. And they're in line with 1,000 other people to see this. The longest line I was ever in is when I went to the book signing for Dollhouse, the novel written by Courtney, Kim, and Chloe, loosely based on their lives. And the line went out of Barnes and Noble around the block, around the block again, like it's almost a square. But then instead of looping back to where the beginning would be, it went another block and then looped. So then whenever people would pass, they were like, what's going on in there? I don't know why that was their voice in New <laughs> York City. It was actually Goofy and Max passing by <laughs> on their way to perform Powerline. <laughs> Whenever people would ask, at first I would tell them, and then like after being laughed in my face for telling the truth, yeah. this is like 2012, so I was like, oh, it's a Kardashian book signing, people were like, oh, go get a You should have said, what are you, a dog? We don't even know Goofy. <laughs> yeah. Pluto's a dog, so what are you, you weirdo? Goofy's a dog that fell in a toxic dump or something and got powers. So then I would just start lying. I was like, oh, Obama is doing a casting call for a new reality show. I love that. Our bootleg Olsen and Olsen Mystery Agency <laughs> have a new hyper focus in the form of figuring out if it was indeed Michelangelo that crafted the angel statue. So while Jamie wants to dust for fingerprints, Claudia makes him go to the library on 42nd Street. Now, if it is not obvious, I hate history, geography, any school subject that ends in a Y. Hate it. Loved English, though. But when I have guests from out of town they always want me to give them a tour of new york city but like i could care less about the statue of liberty about anything that's in new york <laughs> that's older than 1990 probably but i give them the tour like they ask for but i do it on my own terms so like if i take them to the brooklyn bridge i'm like this is the bridge they crossed in cloverfield uh -huh. and if i took them to this library that claudia and jamie are at yes it is the biggest library in new york city blah 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 but i'm like this is where sarah jessica parker was supposed to get married in the Sex in the City movie. I love that. Is that also the same library from Day After Tomorrow? Yes, one in the same. Wow, a twofer on your history tour. <laughs> yeah, now I and can. And you're add like, it. and this is Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. <laughs> That's the grand finale, of course. This was the part of the book, though, when they start researching things, Michelangelo, Renaissance. I was hoping for murder. <laughs> I was hoping that they were going to witness. A murder. I needed a Agatha Christie tie-in. I wanted something more than like, is this statue real? Like, doesn't this just mean that the museum people are bad at their jobs? Yeah, I agree. You know how every episode of The Simpsons, I don't know if you're a Simpsons watcher, but every episode of The Simpsons starts with something that seems like it's going to be the plot and then 
It's totally different. Like, they'll be at Disney World as a family vacation, and then Homer steps in dog poop, and then suddenly there's a virus across the world because of the poop, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I thought. I thought we were going to ease into this Michelangelo thing, and then, because of that, they witness a murder at the library, or the robbers steal the statue. Something. Something. Again, once I thought there were (laughs) robbers involved, I'm like, ugh. Finally. I don't know if you read it. There was a chapter at the end of the book. I sure didn't. (laughs) That was like a note from the author and where she got inspiration, whatever, whatever. And it is more or less a true story. Like there was a thing and they didn't know if it was real or not. That's where it ended. So she was like, let me turn this into a novel. But I need her to yes and with herself a little bit more. Like all you did was take this new story and put characters in it. I need you to like yes and until you have a plot. I love Miss Frankenweiner as a character. Character. I think she's the best part of this book. But you knew where you bought it from. So it's like, you know that you got it from her. You could ask her, hey, you got any documents that go along with this? Like, it would have been better if it was like, they hear a bunch of noise, they're hiding in the bathroom stall. And the next day, the angel statue has just appeared and nobody knows where it came from and nobody knows mm. how it got there. That would be a mystery because then it's like, wow, we yeah. have nobody we can follow up with or ask questions about this. But no, just literal history it was and for whatever reason i didn't mind this book even though if i was with jamie and claudia i'd be like please get a full life but reading about it i don't know i didn't hate it which is shocking that is shocking but i think claudia and jamie they are the reason the phrase touch grass was created because (laughs) they've been in that museum for too long they need to go to central park and just Pick up a blade of grass. Felt like they were in that museum for too long, didn't it? But then at the end, we find out it's only one week. Yeah. (laughs) Again, I'll take solitary confinement over that, please. Go on, Big Brother. Your wish might come true. So after examining some imprinted velvet and an engraving of an M at the bottom of the statue, the duo discovers it is indeed a creation of Michelangelo. Maybe. But now they're stuck with a new mystery. How do they inform the museum of this without telling them they've been squatting there for a week? By sending an anonymous letter with the return address to a P.O. box, of course. But when they rent the P.O. box for three months for $4.50, Jamie is pissed. So, just as the two are getting settled into their new life, wrench after wrench is thrown into their little getaway turned mystery solving. First, Jamie's class takes a school trip to the museum, but Claudia and Jamie are professionals we're talking about. So he uses this as a time to deliver the letter to the head of the museum by posing as someone from his class. And later, when a man asks why they're not in school, Jamie comes out with a full story about how the furnace broke, impressing Claudia with his fast thinking lies. This was so stupid. They're (laughs) writing a letter to be like, we found a clue. We think that this angel might really be Michelangelo, whatever. Why are you writing a letter? And then you're also saying, oh, I'm with this class, which is your real class. So we know they've been following different classes around every day. So why would you link yourself to your actual class? Oh, that's very true. I didn't think about that part. Yeah. I was impressed. Well, he is a good liar, at least. I think I'm a great liar as well. And then I don't know if it's because they want to catch me or what, but my mom and Quinn have both told me, you're not as good of a liar as you think you are. But like, I know for a fact, there are lies I'm holding on to that these people don't know. So yes, I am. But then I can't say that and push back because then they know there are still lies I'm holding on to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then I think they're trying to catch me in it. Like, I think they want me to say like, well, no, you don't know that, blah, blah, blah. But you're not going to get me. Smart. Do they tell you (laughs) why they think they know when you're lying? Like, have they told you their tells? No. Hmm. 
Do you lie to me? I don't think so. Are you lying now? No. <laughs> so Claudia and Jamie check their P.O. box every day waiting for a response from the museum. And before I move on, I recently saw a TikTok making fun of millennials for never checking their mail. And I don't know. Is that a millennial thing? Because I do the opposite. That's the thing. <laughs> I check the mailbox every day. I check my bank account and I check my credit. Well, I think you're supposed to check your mailbox every day. I forget. But Apparently, a lot of millennials do. Like there was a whole TikTok craze fad whatever you want to call it of people like opening their mailbox and it's like a sitcom closet where it all pours out at you because they never check their mailbox but i check multiple times a day dr ball checks our mailbox so i don't have that monica geller situation but i potentially would which doesn't make sense because i love getting mail i love snail mail yeah claudia and jamie do have mail but it's their first rejection letter. <laughs> the museum tells them they already know about the carving. Obviously, someone does their job. And it doesn't prove a goddamn thing. <laughs> this is enough for Jamie to want to return home. But Claudia doesn't want to go back without solving a mystery. She refuses to go home the same person she was when she left. And this, I flat out wrote it in the outline. Babe, it's been seven days. <laughs> what What do you expect to happen that is going to change you so drastically? A murder would have. I'll give you that. I was still rooting for it. <laughs> Give me something here. I would have loved for Miss Frankenweiner in her letter to saxophone to be like, and that's when my dear saxophone, I killed him. That would have been great because he is her lawyer. She's like, please come help me cover this up. And call my cousin J.B. Fletcher. She always seems to get away with it. We need her alibis. <laughs> the two buy tickets to Connecticut, but not Hartford where they're from. No. Farmington. To visit the home of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Mm-hmm. I got the chills. And of course I knew she was going to come. Both movies have like a pretty well-known actress as her. So like I knew she was going to show up. She was the narrator for God's sake. But when we were getting, this was chapter 9 out of 10. And they hadn't met her yet. I was getting a little You thought nervous. this might be the read through that the plot has changed. <laughs> well, I only read it once in fifth grade. So I remembered liking it. Yeah. But. I didn't remember anything about the plot, but they mean Sorry, it. this is another story that was not in our outline. <laughs> if you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, patreon.com slash I am the cute one, because this full unedited episode is going to be about seven hours long. <laughs> but this did remind me when there's like two plots and two sets of characters who finally meet. When I was growing up, I wrote this book in my mind about a girl who falls asleep every night and has a dream life and a real life, but she doesn't know which is which because every night she goes to sleep, she jumps into the other life. Then in that life, she goes to sleep, jumps into her other life. Then she finally realizes that they're in two different timelines. So her one life Ah. is 30 years in the future from her other one. Or maybe we as the reader figure that out. I hadn't really nailed down the details. But at the end of the book, in the one life, she's in like grave danger. So she waits for her other self to be born and knocks on the door. And that's how the book ends, to warn the parents oh, about the future. Write that. Okay. TM, 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 copy. Well, someone already stole your idea. Oh. It's a little bit Inception. Yeah. It's a little bit Terminator. And it's a little bit The Lake House starring Sandra Bullock. So three people wow. stole your Disgusting. idea, Disgusting. Despicable. But that's how I felt meeting Miss <laughs> Frankenweiner. I was like, oh my God, they're finally meeting mm-hmm. after all this time. <laughs> I was wondering how we got to your story. It doesn't really tie in, but I'm glad you told it. Thank you. I didn't know that you wrote stories. Your daughter is great at writing books. You know, I am great at writing books. You seemed like the odd man out here. So I'm glad you're finally able to join oh, our no, team. Oh, no, I wrote lots of books. I'll have to tell you all about Santran Labam at another time. Oh, I can't The main wait. character in a multi-arc book series I wrote as a child. 
She was a witch. Oh, wow. It was pretty close to Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Her name was literally Santran LeBam, but that's a tale for another day. When I was too old to do this, my sister was little. I used to write a comic strip. Her name's Callie. Calbrina the Teenage Bitch. It was a comic strip about her being a witch, but also just a cunt to everybody. And (laughs) it was so good. I think I have one saved. I'll post it if I can find it. I say to her, go to hell. And she says, that's my home. And that's the end of the comic strip. (laughs) Okay, you said you were too old to be writing this. How old was she when she was the main character, Callie the Teenage Bitch? She must have been a bitch. I mean, (laughs) she must have been. She was a bitch. She must have been a teenager, which means like if she was 16, I was 28. Oh, okay. So yes, far too old. Confirmed. (laughs) Okay, so Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler is, like I said, a rich cunt. You have hit your cunt quota for the month. Well, no, now this is a cunt bookend. I called her a cunt at the beginning. Okay. I said, I'm a cunt. You called me a cunt. (laughs) Fat cunt, yeah. You said your sister would be a cunt, and now Miss Frankenweiner, so. No, not now. I said her in the beginning, so I have to use it again. Circles become circles. Cunts become cunts. From ashes to ashes, cunts to cunts. Okay. <laughs> I, I would read that Bible. It was rumored when we were in high school that some rapper, I forget who, was going to rewrite the Bible to use like hip hop language. This was my Christian era. I was so excited to buy it. <laughs> anyway, Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler is a rich beep hoarder who likes the children once she learns she can spar with them verbally but you know what i get it because once i learned that i can call my cat the c word that's when she and i started getting (laughs) along okay i'm gonna you can say it again i feel bad i've taken away your power like samson i've cut your hair you were thriving in your con era <laughs> Basil Wiener has lunch with the children and they come to a deal. Or the opposite of a deal, I'm not <laughs> quite sure. Claudia won't say where they've been hiding out, and in return, Basil Wiener won't give them the details about the angel's creation. So when Claudia makes it known that she feels like she's nothing without knowing the answer, Frank and Wiener comes up with an idea. And this is where Chelsea texts me and asks if the chapter when the murder happens was now, and I said, no, but there is an HOH competition from Big Brother. And this is what it is. Frank and Wiener's office is floor-to-ceiling filing cabinets, and she tells the children they have one hour to find her file about the angel statue. So Jamie starts digging through randomly, like, whatever he can find, and Claudia says, just hold a goddamn second. Five minutes of planning is much better than 15 minutes of chaos. Mm -hmm. Which... I bet the cuties agree. They're like, please take this advice. Do at least one minute of planning before recording an episode. So with one minute to spare, the kids find the file. Michelangelo did create the statue, which is what we thought all along. Not really a mystery. And as a reward, Mrs. Basil gives the file to the children in her will. (laughs) And only if they don't tell anyone the secret until then. But the good news is now with the secret, Claudia can return home a changed woman. (sighs) just the lowest of stakes. I actually think that the Olsen and Olsen Mystery Agency, their mysteries were higher stakes than this. I'd say a live volcano. Let's not forget. Aliens from outer space, famously. That pervert in the well. (laughs) (laughs) Dusty the ranch hand. This just, again, proves the museum isn't worthy of Angel the statue because they're just very bad at their job there's literal (laughs) documentation from the woman you purchased 
the statue from that proves it's Michelangelo's work. Yeah. It just made me mad. It made me want to take a sledgehammer to Michelangelo's statue and break it on the ground. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that is why I'm not running away with you. Circles <laughs> do become circles. There was a twist at the end that we received, and I ruined it for myself because throughout the whole book, Mrs. Basil Wiener is like doing side comments to Saxonburg. Mm-hmm. So I googled direct quote, who the fuck is Saxonburg? <laughs> and it was answered because that was my question. It is Mrs. Frankenweiner's lawyer, but also the children's grandfather in a nice little But then twist. I have follow-up questions <laughs> because the children at the end, they decide that they're going to adopt Miss Frankenweiner as their mm-hmm. surrogate grandmother. Yeah. And they're like, well, I mean, we don't know our grandparents. They're probably dead. And I'm like, does Miss Frankenweiner have Saxonburg on some sort of like NDA? Is he chained up somewhere? Like, why <laughs> don't these children know that Saxonburg, her lawyer, is their grandfather oh yeah yeah i don't know because he knows and he knows they were missing too because he's the one that calls the parents and says it right i don't know i just assumed that that their parent was you know a bad one and they don't speak to the grandparent anymore oh and the grandparents like you should respect your elders but i still keep tabs on you in the newspaper yeah yeah Mm, yeah (laughs) Maybe Saxonburg deserves everything that comes to him. <laughs> Penance for how he was as a father. Perhaps. Yeah, let's go with that. That'll be the sequel. Okay. So final thoughts. If we were to make this book a movie, who would you cast? Okay, I played your game where I pick people from whenever I feel like okay. time traveling. So as the two kids, I cast the stars of My Girl, Anna Chomsky and Macaulay Culkin. Then, as Basil E. Frank Wiener, I cast Meryl Streep. But now Meryl Streep, not when they were little kids. I love that. I cast <laughs> Leonard Hofstetter's mom. She is the person from Mamma Mia. Oh, Christine Baranski? Christine Baranski okay. as Miss Frankenweiner. And that's as far as I got. Okay, that's enough. I was exhausted by the end of this book. I just needed to <laughs> close this chapter, literally and figuratively. Wow. So okay. final, final thoughts. What about this book aged well and what aged like borders? I have a few. So... In terms of borders, the ending message being children are keeping a secret for an adult stranger uh-huh. from everyone in their life is a little like werewolf coded. Uh-huh. Very yeah. werewolf coded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Certainly. So I don't love that that's the takeaway. Also, there are two like throwaway comments earlier in the book that I brought to this ending section here. One, <laughs> the kids go on a tour and it says... Our Indian tour guide skin reminded me of Mother's Birthstone, Smoky Topaz. Like, okay, I'm sure there was anything else that could have been that color to remind you of that. Mm-hmm. And then that passage does go on for Claudia to fantasize about moving somewhere that she could wear a sari or moving to India where she could wear quote unquote regular clothes because this bitch is just looking for truly any way to stand out in a crowd. Yes, yes, it does go on to say that. Also, at Miss Frankenweiner's house, when they're taking baths, which also I think is inappropriate for them to be taking a bath at an adult stranger's home. Uh-huh. When Claudia's taking a bath, Jamie calls for her and she doesn't answer. So he hears running water and no answer and just assumes she commits suicide. And then goes to eat dinner. <laughs> He's like, oh, R.I.P., sis. 
Finally, the change purse is all mine. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I mean, honestly, the book holds up. Yeah. I talked a lot of shit about it, but it's a cute book. I enjoyed myself. It was educational. I think that there were moments where the 60s of it really jumped out at you. Again, mm. any mention of how much things cost, things like there being a typewriter tied up outside of a store that they could type things on. Also, the fact that like kids today running away, they would definitely swipe a debit card, a oh, credit yeah. card, and immediately be traced. So I think that in terms of just like literally aging like borders, there was a lot that just seemed from a different time. For sure. But overall, a cute yeah. book. A because cute of the lack of murder, it is wholesome. So it does hold up. Like you could still read this in a school today. There was something you just said. In that end note from the author, she writes about basically trying to say, like, you can still read this now. She's like, children today would see these same parts of New York as the kids. She's like, the library's still there. The museum's still there. It's still this many blocks away. Da, 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 da. She's like, the typewriter is not still tied up outside of that store. But she does say... <laughs> This is fucked. She's like, the kids did not see the World Trade Centers because they were not built until after the book was written, and kids today wouldn't see the World Trade Center. Like, why do we have to bring that into it? She could have made her point without that. Especially because, like, the lack of, you know what I mean? It's not like the kids looked up and saw a beautiful sky because there were no buildings to cover the view. Like, it's not in the book. I think you're just grasping at straws, EL. Wow. I laughed out loud. What an unhinged (laughs) thing to mention. Yeah, I feel like she was trying to bring in things that don't need to be brought in as much as I do. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised you didn't find a way to work 9-11 into the conversation sooner. You saved it for a right I knew then. it was coming. That's why. So this episode, let me just wrap it up for you. We got John JonBenet Ramsey, 9-11, OJ Simpson, and a slur. And homicide. The slurs in homicide. Oh, I thought you were talking about the C word that you said. That's not a times. slur. That's my favorite word. I'm going to get to put on a shirt. Okay. Cutie or cunt. Or cutie and cunt. That's good. <laughs> I am the cunt one. <gasps> oh, the merch is writing itself. <laughs> okay. Let's go. <laughs> All right. That is the end. Next week, we will be covering the first Animorphs book. Talk to you later. Love, Love you like, like a sister. sister. Thank you for listening to I Am The Cute One, a nostalgia podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. You can follow me at RealDonnyWood on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want more of my personal brand of chaos, check me out at OnoChels on Instagram. And for uncut, unedited, and unhinged video and audio footage of current episodes of I Am The Cute One, head to patreon.com slash IamTheCuteOne. And go to IamTheCuteOne.com for the most chaotic merch on the planet. Talk Talk to you later. later. Love you like a sister. sister.